Good morning, church. Good morning. I love this time of year. I love this Christmas time. And as we sing carols and we worship together, great job, worship team, and just celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. We're in the middle of a great series called Jesus Changes Everything. And it's so true, isn't it? I mean, you think about how Jesus has come into the world and everything has changed. The last week we began this series, we talked about how Jesus changes the world. And just think for a moment what, how different the world would look without Jesus. I mean, you think about that. Everybody living for themselves, right? And might is right. It's all about me. I mean, there would be no hospitals because those were started by followers of Christ. There wouldn't be hospice taking care of the elderly because those were started by followers of Christ. There wouldn't be orphanages because that was started by followers of Christ. And we saw last week how Jesus came in and people who were marginalized and, and people who were mistreated. And yet God says, you matter. Emmanuel, God with us. The divine has entered and everything has changed. This one solitary life, Jesus. And he split the world in two. He split history in two, B.C. and A.D., right? He turned the world upside down to say, listen, there is a God who you don't have to fear. There's a God who wants to be with you, to have a relationship with you. Every time you write a date, you're reminded of Christmas. Every time you celebrate a birthday, you're reminded of the birth of Jesus because Jesus changes everything. And our lives will never be the same. And that's the great news of Christmas, that Christ has come, that God is with us. And we can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. This morning, we're talking about how Jesus changes our home. So if you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter two. In this series, we're in this one chapter of the Bible. We're just walking through and seeing the Christmas story unfold. And it's amazing. Now, maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online or we'll put the words on the screen. You can follow along with what God's word has to say. The, the story of Jesus' birth, I mean, is recorded in Matthew and Luke. You know, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record the life of Jesus. And then after that, you get into Acts and it goes on with the followers of Christ. But it's Matthew and Luke that record the birth. Uh, Mark and John pick up with Jesus' earthly ministry, you know, when he's 30 and then all the miracles and all the things God did in him and through him and his death, his burial, his resurrection, and that we have salvation. But it's Matthew and Luke that talk about the birth. John describes it this way in the Gospel of John. He just simply says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And see, the Jews and everybody was looking through the Old Testament and they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah, for the Messiah, the Messiah. And John says, hey, he's come. The word became flesh. All that you've been reading, all that you've been praying, all that you've been preparing for became flesh and dwelt among us. And Matthew and Luke say, hey, Christ has come. The world has changed. We are changed. Everything is different. And we saw in Luke chapter 2 at the beginning last week, we talked about this, how Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And Caesar Augustus, who was, you know, he thought he was a god. He was over the entire Roman Empire. And he issued this decree that a census should be taken. And it was for two things, taxation and also to serve in the army. 70 to 75% of the people were slaves back at this time. And so everybody had to be taxed, right? He wanted to get his money and, or people had to serve in the army. Now, if you were a Jew, you didn't have to serve in the army, but you paid a higher tax. And so everybody had to go to their own town to register. And, you know, you can imagine Joseph and Mary, I mean, they're tracking down from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Mary is nine months pregnant. Caesar Augustus doesn't care about pregnant women. He doesn't care about the elderly. He just wants his money. He wants his army, right? And so they come down there and while they are there, 
the time comes for the baby to be born. Now, a lot of times we get confused because we're reading like Luke 2. It says they're pledged to be married or they're engaged to be married. And you're like, what's going on here? Well, Jewish weddings and, you know, the weddings that we have in the West are a little bit different. Uh, Back then, they had arranged marriages. Now, being the dad of three little girls, I'm all for that, right? I'm just like, bring that back, right? Well, there's a lot of places in the world, they have arranged marriages. Uh, But back then, you had this arranged marriage, and you would come together and meet. Now, at that point, you could say no, right? You know, the girl could go, no way, he's ugly. You had some say in this back then for the Jews. So, But if at that point, you said yes, we want to get married. And usually the daughter was 13, 14, 15 years old. The man was a little bit older. And so here they come, you know, and they meet and they say, yes, we're going to get married. Well, you were legally married then. So legally, they're married. And that's why later on, you know, when Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant and he has a mind to divorce her, you're thinking, divorce her? They're just engaged. They're just, and he's like, no, no. But see, then what they would do then, they're engaged, but they're legally married. The husband would go off to build the house or to get ready. The, the wife to be goes back and she's with her parents, you know, because you're 13, 14, or 15. She's getting ready to go off and to be married. And then at some point, the groom would come back for his bride. And he would receive her. There would be a big wedding. There would be a big honeymoon. They would move into the house with the white picket fence, have a little dog. You know, I mean, they would, you know, a little happily ever after, the whole kind of deal, right? And so Joseph and Mary are at that time. And so they head down to Bethlehem, and the time comes for the baby to be born. Now, a lot of people get wrapped up in the whole virgin birth thing. But to me, that's kind of like a level two miracle. You know, I mean, I mean, to me, that's kind of like, I mean, I have been in the delivery room and Lisa, my wife, gave birth to all three of our babies. And I'm like, that's a miracle, right? I mean, because that's incredible. Uh, it's unbelievable. I don't know how people don't believe in God when you watch a birth happen. I mean, it's just like unbelievable what God could do. So to me, you know, the virgin birth is like, yeah, God could do that. I mean, that's easy. A level 10 miracle is when God just transforms a life. You know, when somebody's living for themselves, when somebody's all bent on it's your way, you know, and the pride, the arrogance, and then God comes in and radically transforms them. And this call to repentance and their life is radically changed. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's where I see God just, just showing off, you know, I mean, God just loves that. Well, here you go. They're having the baby, the shepherds show up. They, you know, have this great celebration. And we're going to pick up at verse 21 today after the shepherds leave. And it tells us this. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. It tells us in the Gospel of Matthew that the angel appeared to Joseph and says, yes, I know Mary's pregnant, but hey, it wasn't somebody else, it was the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, you are to name him Jesus. Jesus literally means salvation. That's, the, that's what Jesus literally means. So can you imagine he's walking around, hi, I'm salvation. Hi, I'm salvation. I mean, I mean that's what he literally means. And the, and the angel told Joseph, because they would always name somebody like in your family to keep the family name going. He goes, name him Jesus because he will take away the sins of his people. I love that. Hi, I'm Jesus. I'm going to take away your sins. I'm going to pay the price for you. I am the grace of God incarnate. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. There's a God who hears and there's a God who cares. Well, when at the time of that 
purification came. Their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed. Now, back then, you were considered unclean after you gave birth to a child. Obviously, there was a lot of blood and everything else. So if you had a baby boy, you were unclean for 40 days. So you couldn't go to the temple to worship. You couldn't be in. But after 40 days, that time of purification had been completed. Joseph and Mary took him, took Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So it's about six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And so they pack up the family after 40 days. And the first thing they do is they head to church. They go and they're going to dedicate Jesus to the Lord. Hey, it's written, right, in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So they head off and they dedicate Jesus. God, you have entrusted this child to us. God, you've entrusted Jesus to our home. And God, we want to dedicate him to you. It was this time of worship. It, now, we know that Mary and Joseph were not rich by any stretch of the imagination, right? I mean, they were poor, common, everyday folk, right? They were, they were people because they offered these doves and two young pigeons. If you were wealthy, you would offer a lamb or a ram. But they came with this humble offering to say, thank you, God. I'm bringing an offering. I'm bringing a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You entrusted a child to us and our home will forever be changed at rolling hills we have a lot of young adults and so we have a lot of weddings we have a lot of people who get engaged and people come down hey pastor jeff we got engaged i'm like yeah that's great and i tell people all the time you know when you when you first get married your your life doesn't immediately change i mean it's just i love being married i think it's awesome so i just love it but but you you know you you're just like living with your best friend you know and you're still going out you're still doing things but when you have a child everything changes, right? And people go, wow, you know, because your sleep patterns change, you know, your social life changes. It comes to a screeching halt because everybody's going out at eight and you're going to bed at 6.30, you know? I mean, it's just like everything, your priorities change, right? You can't do this, I can't do this anymore because you have a child in the home. Well, when Jesus enters the home, everything should change. Christ has come. Christ has entered into your home. And some of you know the difference because you grew up in a home where Christ wasn't in your home. And you're a first generation believer and you're saying, man, I don't want my home to be, I want to be, have a home. I mean, I want to have a home filled with grace. I want to have a home filled with love. I want to have a home filled with Christ. And when Jesus enters the home, our homes ought to change. Our homes ought to change. And for Joseph and Mary, it did. Their priorities changed now. It became about Christ. It became about the Messiah. It became about him. And when God would speak and God would move, they would follow and they would trust. If you can go over from Luke to Matthew, we know what happens after this. The Magi show up. Now, if you do an activity scene and you put the Magi there, the wise men there, that's great. But more than likely, this was about a year later or about two years later. But these wise men come from afar because they see the star in the east and they're looking, they're waiting for the Messiah. And they go to Herod, who's the ruler, and they say, hey, where is he? The king of the Jews. And Herod's like, king of the Jews? That's me. You know, I mean, what are you talking about, king of the Jews? You know, they're like, no, we saw a star in the east and he's been born. And Herod's like, well, why don't you go find out where he is and let me know so I can go worship him. Right, right, right. So they come and they worship. They bring these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts for a king, royalty, also to just recognize the life that Jesus is going to live. Well, when they have gone, it tells us in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. 
So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and he left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. I hate that part. Man. But you can see, I mean, without Christ, I mean, here he is, this arrogant, you know, I might as right, and I'm going to rule, and I'm going to kill all these baby boys. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah, it was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Now, Joseph and Mary didn't have like a, hey, we're going to go live down in Egypt, you know. Joseph and Mary were planning a big wedding. They were planning the house with the white picket fence. And all of a sudden, Christ comes into their home and everything changes. But you know what? God's plans were so much bigger than their plans. God had something that they would never dream or never imagine, that they would have the privilege, the honor of the Messiah in their home. I mean, why did God choose Mary and Joseph? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, if, if, if I'm God and I'm sending my son to earth, I'm going to pick a family that has some financial means. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm going to make sure that they can support the child. I'm going to make sure everybody's going to be okay. And that they, they got some money. They're wealthy, right? Uh, Mary and Joseph, they weren't. They were poor. If I'm going to pick a family, I'm going to pick somebody who, you know, can pour into them. I mean, like highly educated, really smart. I mean, could teach them the Old Testament and all these things. And Mary and Joseph, they weren't Bible scholars. <laughs> they were ordinary people. They were good Jews. They had studied, but they were common everyday people. I mean, why did God choose Joseph and Mary? You know what I think it is? Because they were willing to listen to God. I think they were faithful. They were consistent. Hey, the baby's been born. We're going to go to church. We're going to go and offer and dedicate him to the Lord. Oh, God, you're telling me to go here? Okay, God, we'll be obedient. We'll go. We'll listen. Okay, God, their life's changed. They reordered their priorities. They reordered their life around God. You see, in your life and in my life, there's going to be different times that, that God may move us to different places, different surroundings, different home, apartment, and all these kind of places around. But, but what is constant is God in our home. It's Christ in our home. Our surroundings may change. Our families will change. There will be, you know, babies will be born. There will be people who will pass on and go to the next life. There will be people who will come in and get married and different things will happen. Our whole dynamics around us will change. But what stays the same? Christ and do we prioritize Christ? Is Christ the Lord of our home? Is Christ exalted in our home? Is it a home of refuge? Is it a home of grace? Is it a home of mercy? Is it a home where Christ is lifted up? And I think when God was looking around and God goes, hey, there you go. There you go. I know they're common. They're everyday, ordinary people. But man, they love me. And they're going to they're gonna prioritize Christ in their home. 
Joseph and Mary, they would have known the Shema, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Every good Jew would say this every day. Every day. They still do, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. But see, I think they kept going. I think Joseph and Mary just kept going here and said, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. I think there were men and women who just said, you know what, I'm going to live it. As D.L. Moody said, you know, God didn't give us the Bible simply to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. He didn't give us the Bible simply to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Impress them, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at home. And when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. On your gates. In your home. Do you prioritize Christ in your home? Is he the Lord of your home? As a church, we come alongside us as we help grow and develop disciples, right? And that's so important. You know, the Bible talks about children and students, obey your parents, the Lord. It talks about parents and the responsibility we have to raise up the next generation in Christ. It talks about grandparents and the legacy that you are leaving. Not just a a financial inheritance, but a spiritual inheritance. And as a church, we lock arms, we come alongside each other. And I want you to hear from Nick Allen, our pastor of family and children's ministry, and just how the church helps along these milestones in a child's life and that developmental process so we can prioritize Christ in our homes and what that looks like. Nick, you do such a great job. We love you and are so thankful for you and, and the whole team. I mean, Anna... And preschool and Chase and students and just, you know, Jen and Kinley and Jen Akers. I mean, they're amazing. Tell us a little bit about some of these spiritual markers that we talk about. All right. The, the mild markers that we talk about are so important um, because it, we consider what it takes to develop a child throughout their life mm-hmm. and what it's going to be. And these milestones are not just significant moments that come along the way. It's also the random teachable moments that we select. But there are some strategic ones that we don't want to miss. I can't tell my kids that I love them once and that just satisfy their need for love their whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, can't, I have a two-year-old named Simon. I haven't already told him everything that he needs to know about life and the Lord at this age. It's going to come developmentally at different stages mm-hmm. in his life. And that's why these mile markers are really important. The first one is family dedication. Mm-hmm. It's when we come alongside new parents to say, you've had a child. And it's an opportunity for those parents to make a commitment um, to dedicate that child to the Lord. And to say, we're going to raise this child to know and to follow Christ. Mm. It's a big commitment for moms and dads. And we want to come alongside them as a church to celebrate the new life that God's entrusted to them. Um, and then also help them with whatever it's going to take to help that child know Christ along the way. But the babies that are being dedicated, um, that's why we call it family dedication as opposed to baby dedication. Because mm-hmm. those kids are up here, um, they're sleeping, they're crying, they're hanging out. They don't know anything that's going on up here. This is a commitment for moms and dads to make mm. before God. And so we celebrate that with them. The next one, the ones that kids can really gravitate to is formal education. Um, It's a milestone achievement in a child's life. And so we come alongside parents to celebrate that because a child is going off to kindergarten. It's formal education. They're going to learn reading and writing and spelling and math. 
math and history and so many great things. But we want to remind parents at that moment that it's not just the academic development of your child. It's the spiritual development. Mm -hmm. Um, They're learning how to read. Well, now they can read the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we want to come alongside parents to kick off that year and to say, this is the start of a journey with you learning about Christ, learning Bible stories, learning to read, learning to experience Mm -hmm. everything that he has for us. We celebrate that year to kick it off. And then we graduate kindergartners into all the things that they've learned that year, Mm -hmm. their first year in elementary school. Uh, The next one is uh, salvation baptism experience. And that happens whenever a child is ready. Um, For kids and for students in middle school and high school, we offer classes um, to prepare them for baptism once they've accepted Christ as their Savior. And uh, we love this moment because it's a time to come and celebrate that the child, the light bulb's gone off. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit has drawn them in, and now they're ready to commit their lives to Christ, to follow him all the days that they live. And so we want to help moms and dads make that a spiritually significant moment in the life of their child. Baptism is what celebrates what Christ has already done in the heart. So we prepare, we celebrated this. Good job. We Thanks. celebrated that this morning. So, so exciting. exciting for you. Um, first service, we got to see a mom. Audrey mm-hmm. Largen got to baptize her daughter, mm-hmm. Rachel. And we know that parents are the primary spiritual developers of their kids. And so we want to celebrate those important milestones as mm-hmm. they come. Um, that's also the time when we start talking about partnership. What does it mean to be a member of a church? You've participated in church and now you get to be the church. Mm-hmm. And so we want kids to understand what their role is as a partner and a servant here. Um, the next one is really important. It's coming of age. It happens around the time that a child is 12 or 13. We know that physically a lot of things are changing in those moments. So we offer some classes for moms and dads to go through to really identify what it is that Christ wants to call out in their child as they come of age. Um, a lot of things are changing and they're getting to experience a little bit more freedom, but also some more responsibility. Thank you, Spider-Man. With great freedom comes great responsibility. We know that. We think it's important. We want kids to develop that too, that God is changing. He's calling them out. He's doing something in their lives that's going to prepare them for the future. Mm. The next one that we celebrate is manhood, womanhood. When a child is around 15, 16 years old, something significant happens. Um, Our insurance goes up because they get driver's (laughs) license and it's a big, important moment. Um, And that's an offering to them a lot of freedom. But they're also on a journey that's going to prepare them for adulthood to go out into the world. And so we want to identify that as not just an age moment, but a Mm. spiritual moment in their Mm. lives. And the final one that we celebrate with kids in our homes is graduation. Mm. It's a big achievement to graduate from high school. For us, it's a commissioning. It's a way to bless kids and to send them out into whatever part of the world that God's called them, whether that's to college or university somewhere, um, to a local job, somewhere else in the world. Maybe Mm. they're going overseas to serve and to be missionaries. Whatever that is, we want to celebrate the kid that's transformed into an adult um, and help moms and dads bless their children to send them out. Graduation is as much of an achievement for moms and dads as it is for the child because they put in a lot of hours to help their kid get to that point. And so we want to celebrate just the work that God has done through the parents and the life of the child. It's great. It's great. Hey, talk about just for a moment, because let's go back to that. Mom marker one, family dedication, like Joseph and Mary taking Jesus, but Jesus wasn't baptized until he was 30. Right? That was the beginning of his earthly ministry. He didn't do it at the end. He did it at the beginning. And uh, so talk about that distinction. That's mom marker one, mom marker three. Uh, what's the difference between those two? Absolutely. Okay, so mom marker one, we celebrate family dedication. We're a, a church with lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. There's still great faith traditions today that celebrate infant baptism. But for us, that's still a decision that moms and dads are making to have their child baptized or to have their child dedicated. It's a commitment that parents make. Um, what we celebrate here is believer's baptism. Yeah. Um, a child who's being baptized as an infant 
they didn't raise their hand at eight days or eight months and say, you know, I'm really thinking about being baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great decision that moms and dads have made. And so we celebrate that. But what we come alongside parents to do is to emphasize believer's baptism, mm-hmm. to show that the life has been transformed, that Christ has come in and because Jesus changes everything. Mm-hmm. So we want to celebrate that moment when children say, I want to be baptized as a follower of Jesus. And I want to demonstrate publicly what he did for me to die and to be risen again in a brand new life. And that's happened in us too. And yeah. so we celebrate believer's baptism here. I love that. Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks for all you do. Appreciate Appreciate you you. and love you. So thank you. So it's so important and just prioritizing Christ in your home. And as Nick mentioned, I had the privilege to baptize my daughter Mabry this morning and I love it. And just as a parent, I mean, it's just, it's just no greater joy. I just get so excited about it. And I was just so, so excited about watching lives being transformed for the glory of God and seeing lives changed. And that's what we see unfold here. And Joseph and Mary, you know, they prioritize Christ in their home. And I look at us and I say, is that for us? Because it does take being proactive. And so many times we're reactive in our families, right? We've got all these schedules that the world dictates. We're running people here or there. We're driving all over the place. And, and yet to stop and say, no, I want to prioritize. I want to make sure I know what's important. I want to invest in what is really going to matter and what's going to last. I read an article this week about a CEO of a trillion-dollar investment fund company. And he, he was home one night and traveled all the time. But he was home one night and he told his 10-year-old daughter to, uh, to go brush her teeth. And she said, no. And he said, uh, excuse me? And she said, well, why should I? Because you're never here. And he said, well, I'm your dad. And then she pulled out a list of 22 things that she had written down that he had missed in her life at the age of 10. And she handed it to him. And there was, you know, her birthdays and there was, you know, like, you know, awards at school and there was all these significant things. And he said, I looked at it and I got defensive and I was like, what are you doing? You know, I provide for you and you have all this nice stuff and everything, you know. And, and then he said, I went to bed at night and I started thinking about it. He's like, you know what? She's right. <laughs> She's right. And he said, I don't get this time back. So he went in the next day and he resigned from his job. CEO of a trillion dollar investment company. I'm not saying you need to resign from your job. Dads, we've got a lot of pressure. Honestly, we do. We've got to provide and, and take care of our families and stuff. But you know what? At some point, we also have to prioritize. We say, what is important? I don't get this time back. I don't have any other opportunities to come. At some point here for Jesus His earthly dad dies. Joseph dies. And so Mary becomes a single mom. Now, I got to tell you, if you're a single mom, and we have lots of single moms and single dads here at church, I I have so much respect for you. You're amazing. And I pray for you, and I cheer you on, and I believe in you. But for all of us, and whether you're a single parent, or whether you have two parents in the home, or whether you're a grandparent, or whether you're a student, listen, for all of us, are we prioritizing Christ as we look at our lives, as we look at our home? We don't get this time back. We just don't. So what are we doing today to elevate Christ in our home? Uh, Nick gave us a great outline of looking over 18 years. These spiritual markers, you know, from birth, family dedication to, you know, with graduation. I want to give you, I want to give you some ideas just to prioritize Christ this Christmas over the next 18 days. It's 18 days till Christmas, by the way. Not to give anybody a heart attack here, but 18 days. So how can you prioritize Christ, since it's about Christ, Christmas, right? How can you prioritize Christ over the next 18 days? Here we go. Number one, if you're taking notes, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Hey, listen, all of us are going to probably put up a Christmas tree. You probably already have your Christmas tree done. You put up in your, in your house. But, but do you also, do you also put up a nativity scene? 
I mean, we always do that, but maybe you haven't taken the time to do an activity scene. Stop by Target, stop by Cracker Barrel, you know, it's okay. Pick one up. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be in Bethlehem. It just, just an activity scene. So you can put that up and say, hey, to your, you know, kids, hey, to your roommates, to the people around you, listen, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is great. This is fine. This is fun. But this is why we celebrate Christmas. Focus on Jesus. And number two is this, establish some new traditions. Establish some new traditions. All of us have traditions that were handed down to us, right? Our grandparents, our great-grandparents, you know, our parents, we all have traditions. We have traditions about whether we open one gift on Christmas Eve or we don't get to open any gifts until Christmas morning or, you know, and we always kind of argue about that when you get married. You're like, but we always did it this way. We did it this way. Hey, you have the opportunity to establish new traditions. You could do it now. Start to establish some new traditions in your home that you're going to prioritize Christ. Maybe that's an Advent calendar. Maybe you've never done an Advent calendar before. But, but you know, we're in Advent. We're in that waiting as the, as the bridegroom is coming back for the bride and the second coming. And it's beautiful. Do an Advent calendar. Uh, maybe it's writing scripture verses down and just saying to everybody, Hey, what did God say to us this year in 2014? Let's write a scripture verse and hang it as an ornament on the tree. And then you have a collection over the years to go back and study and look and say, wow, God's faithfulness in our lives and in our home. What are some new traditions that you can do? Number three is this, share love. Share love. Uh, Okay, this is so strange, but I read an article this week about a new business that was started in Indianapolis. And it's called a professional cuddler. Not kidding. So I had to read the article, right? I was like, a professional what? Professional cuddler. And there's this lady who has this business, totally platonic, okay? I mean, you have to do a background check and all this kind of stuff. But she will come to your house and cuddle with you. It's $60 for an hour. How awkward is that? Okay, I was like, she will what? You know, but, but then she goes through and she recites all these studies that were done about the power of touch and how the power of touch from Emory University and all these different places relieves stress in our lives and, you know, makes us healthy and whole. And I'm going, okay, come on, you know? And I just pray that my daughters or my family never has to go to a professional cuddler because they didn't get any love at home. I mean, please, please, please. Maybe you're not a touchy-feely person, but for all of us, give a hug, give a handshake, give a pat on the back. Around Christmas, share love. You know, it's about love. It's about love. And I want my daughters to know more than anything else. I tell them every night as I pray over them. I just pray this. I say, always know God loves you and your daddy loves you. I always know God loves you and your daddy loves you. I just want them to know that. So share, 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 share some love. Hey, just by the way, those words, I love you, they're not implied, okay? I'll just save you the trouble. They're not implied words. They have to be said over and over again. They have to be written. You have to tell somebody. So share love. Number four, number four is this. Hey, read the Christmas story. Read the Christmas story. You know, people have all these traditions. You watch Elf or you watch, you know, Christmas Vacation or you watch It's a Wonderful Life or whatever you do, whatever your kind of Christmas movie is. But sit down at some point and in Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2, just gather all your roommates, gather all your kids, gather everybody around and say, guys, we're going to listen. We're going to read the Christmas story. We're going to read it together. And maybe that means even buying a Bible. Maybe if you're looking for Christmas gifts for your family or for people around, buy a Bible. Here's number five. It's this. Have a birthday party for Jesus. Remember it's his birthday we celebrate. And we get caught up in everything else that's going on. And so if you have kids, you know, bake a cake, make brownies, put candles in it, sing a song. 
but also give a gift, just like Mary and Joseph did. You know, they gave a gift back to God. Thank you for entrusting this child to us. God, we give you praise. Give Jesus a gift at his birthday. Somehow that we can give back, that we can celebrate, that we can elevate and prioritize Christ at Christmas. Here's how it happens, right, in our homes. Here's how it happens. Just the same way as God changes the world one life at a time, God changes your home one life at a time. A lot of times we look around and we go, well, when my spouse gets it, you know, I mean, when they get it, when they dial in, then our home's going to be great, you know, or when I get married or when I get remarried or, or when my children really start to obey me, then, then man, everything's going to be great. You know, everything's going to be perfect and we'll have Christ in our home. No, 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 no. Listen, stop looking around and let's look at us. And just as it, David wrote, you know, search me, oh God, search me and know my anxious thoughts, test me. See if there's any impure way in me and lead me in the way everlasting and allow Christ to come in and change us. And as Christ changes us, as we elevate Christ in our home, our entire home is impacted. All the people around us. I received an email last week from a guy after um, the message last week as we talked about Jesus changes everything. And he sent me this email and he just said, Pastor Jeff, I want you to know as we talk about Jesus changes everything, go to this website and see my picture from 10 years ago. And it was a police website. So I clicked on it and I went and I found his mugshot. And I went and looked back at his past and he said, just know this, Jesus does change everything. Look at where my life is today. And he started talking about his wife. He started talking about his kids. He started talking about what God was doing in his life. And and I know this guy. And I just said, that's a level 10 miracle right there. That's a level 10 miracle. And watching God change him, I've seen God change his entire home. It starts here. It starts with you. It starts with me. Jesus changes everything. Has Jesus changed you? We're all a work in progress. None of us are perfect. But are we pursuing Christ? And are we elevating Christ in our homes? It's so easy for us to go out to holiday parties and put on a smiley face and be happy. And then to come home. And because our emotions are high or our emotions are low, to take it out on the people we love. And yet God would say this. Hey, elevate Christ. It's about Jesus. Love grace, peace, joy, Christ in your home, and it begins with us. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. But I want to know this, that God is here. And God loves you. Oh, God loves you. Today may be a day of salvation where you just say, Jesus, I want you in my heart, my life. I've been trying to live life on my own. I've been trying to do it my way. And I'm just so frustrated. Today, I let go and I let you. And as God draws you to himself this morning, would you allow Christ to change your heart? Maybe for you, you think about your home. You just say, how can I prioritize Christ? How can I prioritize Christ with the people I love? How can I invest and the people around me for Jesus. Father, here we are, your disciples today. And, and God, to think that you chose Mary and Joseph back then. But God, to think that you choose us today. God, you chose us. And you placed us in the home we're in for a reason and for a purpose. And so I pray today, Father, that Christ would be exalted. I pray that, Father, we would love the people you put around us well. We would offer grace, the same grace we've received. We would 
We would extend love and mercy. Father, these next 18 days are going to be busy and crazy, but I pray, Father, our home would be a refuge, a place where you are lifted up and glorified. And so, Christ, come alive in us. Be born in us. May we be Bethlehem as Christ is born in our hearts. And may, Father, the love and the grace of Jesus spill over to everybody in our home because Jesus changes everything. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen, amen, amen.